African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. It's 11 o'clock once again. It's a new week right here on Channel Africa. Uh, thank you for joining us on our frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. And also remember we're on DSTV on Channel 802 on the audible K www.channelafrica.co.za. That is our website. How does Africa make sure that there's enough quality food for all? Africans. That's the big question today. According to the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, around 220 million people in sub-Saharan Africa were hungry or undernourished in 2014 uh, to 2016, which is the highest prevalence of any region in the world. So clearly here on the continent, we have a big, big problem when it comes to access to food and quality food. Uh, Sub-Saharan Africa was the area with the second largest number of of hungry people as Asia had 512 million principally due to the much larger population. Although the prevalence of undernourishment in sub-Saharan Africa has declined according to the FAO, it has been seen as the least progressive where more than one in four people remain undernourished. Well, we've got some guests on the line to help us on, on this and we know that the big theme for the food and agriculture Organization. This says change the future of migration, invest in future uh, security and rural development. We've got Dr. Nodia Malan, who's with us in a studio, who is a senior lecturer at the Department of Anthropology and Development Studies at the University of Johannesburg. He also works uh, in a, a food program or helps uh, a farming system in Soweto called Izindaba uh, Zogula, which is uh, really promoting innovation in food systems in previously disadvantaged communities. And also on the line, we've got Jerry Buke, who is the uh, Regional Communications Officer at the United Nations World Food Program. And uh, Professor uh, Julian May is also with us on the line, who's the Director of the Department of Science and Technology at the National Research Foundation at the Center of Excellence in Food Security and UNESCO Chair in African Food Systems at the University of the Western Cape. Well, let's get the big figures from the World Food Program before I come to you, Dr. Milan, uh, and I'll come to you, Jerry, in terms of uh, the progress that Africa is actually making in terms of access to food and the issues of food excess on the African continent. Clearly, we're lagging behind with these uh, statistics that are coming from the Food and Agriculture Organization, Jerry. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, as, as you say, um, there have been significant gains in some places in terms of reducing hunger over the last several years. Uh, and many African countries uh, have made progress. But, but there is still uh, some way to go. As you also say, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa is the region with the highest prevalence of hunger. Um, prevalence, of course, measured by percentage of population. Uh, across Southern Africa, 25% of children under the age of five are physically stunted. That's too small for their age mm-hmm. uh, because they're not 
properly nourished. So food and nutrition security really needs to be higher on national development agendas so that national capacities in this very important area uh, can be strengthened. We at the World Food Programme are doing uh, a lot of work with governments uh, and others in the region on this. So let's look at these numbers and, and uh, just try to dissect them a little bit, Jerry, in terms of um, why is Africa having such a difficult uh, uh, development program in terms of making that there is enough access to food? I know this is connection, connected to, to poverty rates on the African continent. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, two of the biggest reasons, uh, Ben, are conflict and climate change. Uh, 60% of the world's 800 million hungry people live in countries affected by by conflict, and 80% of WFP's work is in countries affected by by conflict. In war-torn countries, the Democratic Republic of Congo, South Sudan, Somalia, Central African Republic, and Nigeria come to mind. Obviously, farming and trading are disrupted, so so people are much more likely to go to go hungry. Uh, as far as climate change is concerned, uh, more than 80% of the world's uh, hungry uh, live in countries prone to natural disasters. Uh, that's true of so many African countries. Southern Africa is prone to drought, uh, and the droughts are becoming more frequent and more severe. The, the recent El Nino-induced drought uh, was the worst in 35 years, uh, and that caused almost 40 million people in the SADC region to become food insecure. Thankfully, this year, things are better. Uh, 25 million people in the SADC region are food insecure. So it's better, uh, but it's simply not good enough. Uh, And experts Mm. warn that climate change could reduce potential agricultural output in Africa by as much as 30% in the coming Mm. years. Well, those are alarming figures indeed. And uh, let me bring in Dr. Nodir Malan in our studio. I know that, uh, as was highlighted by Jerry there, from a continental perspective, that uh, the continental view is that uh, the real, real issues are conflict and climate change. But when you come to isolate South Africa in itself, where you work, Dr. Milan, it's an issue of uh, uh, poverty that is actually a big issue and affordability of these uh, uh, foods, which food should be a human right. I believe the access to food should be a basic human right. But we don't see it like that because of the fact that it's related to pricing. Yes, thank you, Ben, and good morning, all the listeners. You know, food, food, or lack of food and hunger can only be satisfied by two things. The one is food itself, and the other one is income. And to supply both of those to anybody is quite complicated. Um, we all know how difficult it is to raise incomes in a country. And uh, that, that is a serious thing. Um, but often what we do is we try to raise incomes through gardening. And that has limited effects. Um, at the best of times, uh, food gardens can produce uh, a couple of extra portions of vegetables per person per, per week more, which is significant, especially if you don't have anything else. But we sure. must bear in mind that our solutions by necessity, need to be system-wide solutions. Mm. What do I mean by that? It means that the historical way we produce and trade, distribute and consume food reflects our history. And some of those things in the history are things that we don't really need or want. But uh, for food production, it's complicated because our 
food production systems are heavily dependent on fossil fuels, not only for the fuels for the tractors and the machines, but also for the inputs. These things are, have health effects, and we are starting to realize that they generally have negative effects on, on us and the soil. And um, often these agricultural production systems, the modern agricultural scientific production systems, are systems that um, produce significant amounts of foods, but they don't produce uh, the labor we want. They don't produce harmonious social relations because they based on cutthroat supply chains. They often uh, have very negative ecological effects, and we pay for cheap food by increased costs of water, uh, costs of, of land and soils, um, and, and of course uh, less nutrition in the end in our foods uh, because they are transported and stored for very, very long times. And mm. these systems don't actually enable a small emerging farmer to yeah. get ahead sure. because the small emerging farmer is up against the, the biggest of the big uh, who have massive resources but their production systems uh, at, a, at, at, at a, a local scale yeah. don't often produce more than an agroecological alternative. Yeah. The generally the consensus is and there's been research done that a, a farmer who uses normal uh, conventional means has to spend about uh, $1,000 a sure, year, sure. 14, 15,000 rand a year, just to keep going. Whereas a farmer who's trained in agroecology can realize the same outputs worth about, well, $1 spent. Wow. And that is because such a farmer is trained and able to make the most of the locally mm, available mm, resources. Mm. We throw away our leaves, our grass, our wood. Mm. And meanwhile, those are the things that are going to save us. Well, I'm, I'm yeah. going to come back to you because that's very interesting because you delving into the innovative aspects of things and also food quality uh, and in the whole system itself because that's something that we're going to look at. But I want to also bring in Professor Julian May and I know maybe you want to touch on these issues of uh, uh, food systems that we're currently seeing and, and the debate that uh, Jerry is bringing into uh, this conversation. Your thoughts, uh, Professor Julian May? Well, good morning, everybody, and thank you for inviting me. So let's just reflect on an interesting statistic specifically concerning South Africa. And I pick South Africa because I think in some ways South Africa might be the future of many other African countries as their incomes, as incomes rise. So in South Africa, we have the highest um, GDP per capita on the continent. Um, we're an upper-middle-income country. The Statistics South Africa, our statistical service, reports that the share of people reporting that they are, hunger, are, are hungry has halved over the last 10, 15 years. So at one level, it looks like we are making progress. We have the, the wealth that other countries in Africa don't have, and we've made progress in reducing the, the share of people that are hungry. But our prevalence of stunting, and Jerry already mentioned mm, stunting mm. As, an, as an indicator of malnutrition, sure. our prevalence of stunting has just been reported at 27% of all children under the age of five years. That means that we're an outlier. If you compare us to the rest of Africa and you compare our income, our, 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 our gross domestic product per capita, and our prevalence of stunting, it makes us a complete outlier. We are out there with, among the poorest countries of Africa in terms of that prevalence. You, you recall Jerry said that 25% of all children who are under five in Africa are stunted. We're above that average. Mm. So we have to start thinking, well, what are the reasons for that? Um, some mm. of that 
maybe to do with children that do not get enough food. Sure. Um, so they simply are not getting enough energy yes. um, each day because the food is not affordable, the food is not available. But there must be other reasons. There must be other explanations that we need to dig behind to find out what's going on, why our wealth in South Africa is not turning into better um, situations for children. And that question is important because if this country isn't getting it right, what is the possibility that that might start happening in other countries as they also become wealthier but do not necessarily produce positive outcomes for their children? Well, that's, that's, mm. that, that's the first thing I just wanted to comment. Sure, sure. It's, it's more complex than hunger. There are things that are outside the food system, outside the mm. production of food, that result in outcomes which are related to food, to, to food insecurity. Well, that is so complicated. We started a very complicated end. I thought we could kind of move in swiftly to these details, but we'll we'll tackle these challenges very after this uh, particular break. And I want to thank uh, everyone who's joining us for our conversation. Thank you to Nigeni Pagati, who's joining us on our African Dialogue Twitter, Notando, who's a farmer. Give us your thoughts. Remember what you think of our conversation today. We're asking, how does Africa make sure there's enough quality food for all Africans that at Africa African Dialogue is the Twitter handle. It's 11.21 Central African time. Let's take a quick break and then we'll be back after this. In observation of the 100 years since the birth of Oliver Reginald Tambo, a 9-meter-high bronze statue of the South African struggle icon will be erected at Johannesburg's O.R. Tambo International Airport on the 19th of October. Channel Africa will be there. So join us between 600 hours and 900 hours Central African time on Thursday the 19th of October as we bring you live coverage of this special event. Channel Africa bringing you the African perspective. Happy World Food Day, everybody. Remember, we're asking this question on our Twitter handle. How does Africa make sure that there is enough quality food? We're talking about quality as well, not just excess now for all Africans, because we're starting to see that also the quality of food that's made access to communities on the African continent becomes a big, big issue. And I want to come back to you uh, on the line, uh, uh, Jerry, in terms of uh, the issue of quality of food. We're seeing that's become more of a concern international uh, the types of food that we have access to and also the the you know the 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 way that the foods are also processed and uh, that's such a big debate when we also move into uh, genetically modified foods as well that's also a big concern on the african continent yeah uh, well we at the at the world food program we seek to help the, the most vulnerable of the vulnerable, the, 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 the hungriest of the hungry. Uh, and, and, and indeed, quality nutrition uh, is a major part of achieving sustainable development goal two. Uh, you will recall uh, global leaders two years ago in New York signed up to 17 
uh, sustainable development goals to be achieved by uh, the year 2030. Uh, goal number two is the elimination of hunger. Uh, and we're really not going to get there unless um, it, the quality of nutrition, uh, the, the quality of diets uh, is improved. Uh, the, the first thousand days of life from conception to two years old, that's the critical window in, in which to tackle undernutrition. Um, spending on quality nutrition in those first thousand days of a child's life yields huge dividends. Uh, but of course, it, it, it helps to continue to eat healthily beyond the, the first thousand days. Um, a, a big part of it is, is healthier, more varied diets uh, that are rich in micronutrients. And studies show that uh, a well-nourished population can, can significantly increase a country's gross domestic product. So there are huge gains to be made. Well, I mean, how are we actually creating regulation? Because the problem is now not necessarily just the access to food, but also the manufacturing industry it, itself, uh, Jerry. Yeah, uh, as I say, we, we, have, we have programs uh, for, for very hungry countries. Um, we seek to ensure that the food that we provide is sort of consistent with, uh, with, with local diets. And, and, and tradition. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm not much of an expert on uh, on the manufacturing side of things. Mm. Perhaps I can leave that to the colleagues. Well, sure. Let me come to you, maybe, uh, Dr. Nodia Malan, because you've highlighted that very much in terms of the processing of foods. It's becoming a, a big thing internationally, um, and it's not just an African problem that we're seeing. Yeah, you know, that's a classic case of... Uh, uh doing the, a lot of things that actually sets us back. You know, mm. we, we often produce food, we ship it across the country or across the world, uh, we process it in a certain place, add a lot of uh, things to make it last, which are not always good for us, mm. then ship it back to the people to eat. And then they eat a preservatives. food you know, with preservatives <laughs> and a food that's stripped of its nutrients, its fiber, um, and, uh, and often many of its nutrients. Mm. And uh, the heart of the obesity pandemic is really what we call in academia the dietary transition, where people move from traditional diets to a Western diet, which is high in sugars, salts, and fats, mm. and, and very high in proteins, mm. um, often more than you need. And, and that is, that's, that's the long and the short of the, uh, the, 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 the obesity e epidemic. Mm. To change these things are extremely difficult because you have to address the full spectrum of human desires and needs and, and culture. Yeah. So we need to desire the right foods. And how do you do that? You have to um, make those things attractive and, and cheap uh, or, or, or competitive, etc. But it also needs to be re-established in our cultures. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the entrepreneurs that we work with in Soweto, Mr. Mapeo Pule, mm -hmm. has uh, just released a product, uh, Mohodu. Um, which is tripe for those who don't know, mm, um, mm. Um, uh, in a in a in a vacuum packed uh, 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 as a product okay. uh, for a modern modern consumer. Sure. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm 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 not sure about the nutritional qualities. It, it might be that it could also have a lot of fats and things in. Mm. But this is part of the solution. We need to reinvent the food system so that the transport distances are a lot shorter. Sure. The times are a lot shorter, but most importantly, that those who benefit from those value chains mm -hmm. um, are those who have been excluded. And um, in, in the world stage, the African smallholder farmer 
is probably the most important category of person sure. that we need to pay attention to to sure. fix the, the food system. The reason is very clear. Small farmers outcompete productivity-wise the large farmers. So we actually mm. lose by farming at such a large scale. Mm. If you have a lot of small farmers farming, the distribution of the well, the benefits of that is much more extensive. Yeah. So we have to create those chains. They have to be economically viable and they have to be culturally appropriate. Mm. And, and to do that is, is quite a complex task. Well, you know, while you're saying that, I'm thinking of my own personal process. And let me bring that to you, Professor Julian May. I had a big mkaba, which is a big uh, pot belly. Um, it's it's it's. It's still big, but it's not as big as it was two, three, four weeks ago because I had to start thinking about how I engage with my food because I'm a person who's single. I live alone. And another thing, I get very busy and I leave the office very late most of the time doing my research and all sorts of things in the office. And sometimes the biggest, the, the trend that I used to go to is kind of driving into a McDonald's or driving into a KFC. It was kind of a norm. And I, while uh, uh, Dr. Milan is speaking there, it's kind of, coming to my own sense of being in terms of I don't really, really think about how I actually engage with food. And I don't know how many of us Africans in contemporary Africa really, really think through uh, what we actually take in. There is a culture shift on the African continent when it comes to the culture we're in, globalization, as was briefly highlighted by Dr. Maliana, and the westernization that we're experiencing in modern Africa. That's a, I think that's a very important point that you've raised because what we eat has a, says a lot about who we are. Um, and we need to think through, as Nodia has said, food also has to be culturally accepted. It has to be something which we enjoy. Food is part of our pleasure. Sure. Now, you've described a situation that applies, I think, to many people in, 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 in Africa, particularly as Africa urbanizes. Sure. Um, you're busy, you've got a lot to do, you don't think a lot about what, it is, what, what you're going to be do, eating. And th that's where I might somewhat disagree with, with, with Nadia because in some instances processed food actually might be something which is necessary. Um, for people who are commuting in, in South Africa, poor people commute in, in, in incredibly long distances. Um, to be able to have something which is convenient and which is nourishing and which is safe can be very important. So let's take an example of a very of, of a protest food that is very popular among people who are busy and, and, and are, who commute. And um, that processed food is bread. So bread is actually, in fact, a highly processed type of food. It requires many different ingredients. It usually has um, stabilizers as well as uh, as um, uh, other kinds of decoking agencies agencies to allow it to have a longer shelf life. Um, we can make bread which is high fat, high salt, or, or we can make bread which is low GI. We can make breads which are healthier. In Nigeria, conventional bread that's bought in shops is also supplemented with the use of indigenous flours. Um, so we can make a bread which actually is based upon indigenous crops, um, which are good for small farmers to, gr to grow, which are climate resistant. Um, and finally, we can we can we can fortify bread and we can fortify other food with the with the kinds of vitamins and micronutrients that Jerry mentioned, which are essential to the health of child. So I would caution against throwing out processed food as being undesirable. It has its place. Um, 
it goes along with other kinds of food, raw vegetables. Um, in general, we should be eating a diet which has far more vegetable and fruit in it, much less carbohydrate, and obviously trying to reduce the amount of, uh, amount of salt and sugar that we eat. Uh, dietitians still seem to be debating about the desirability of fat, um, but nonetheless, a, a, a diet which um, fat is consumed in moderation seems to be the desirable one that we're trying to look for. Let me give you an example of something which is a very popular food in South Africa and possibly mm. in other parts of Africa. Mm. Um, I, I, I know it is Isitambu in Zulu. I, maybe you can help me with the tosa, Jerry. My tosa is not very good. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Can you say that 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 that, that food again? Sampan beans. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Sampan beans. Yes. Sure. Okay. So sampan beans is a is a popular dish in South Ngoshu, Africa. Ngoshu. What is it? Ngoshu? That's the word I'm looking for. It's got a click in it. Yeah. It's got a click in it that I can't do, I'm afraid. Ah, it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> um, so that's a dish for listeners from other parts of Africa, which is essentially whole grain um, of maize, and, uh, and, uh, and it would be whatever local bean people mm-hmm. like to eat. Um, it's a very popular dish, and it's a very healthy dish. Mm. Uh, Twenty years ago in South Africa, it was one of the, It was among the top 30 di- um, foods that South Africans consumed. Mm. It's, now, it's now no longer on that list. And when you ask why is that the case, people say it takes too long to cook because sure. sample beans takes a long time to process. Mm-hmm. And as the cost of electricity has gone up, it costs too much to produce because it uses a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. So that's when we can start thinking... Can, are there other ways in which we can reduce the cooking time of sampan beans to make it a dish that perhaps busy people can still make? Mm-hmm. Um, so, like I say, I'd, I'd say let's not throw the science out. It has its place and it can be useful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, and, and, and it can be done in a way which is still sensitive to people's cultures and still encourages smallholder agriculture. Mm. Let me take that back to you, Dr. Nadir. Your thoughts around those uh, uh, sentiments expressed by Dr. Uh, uh, Professor yeah. May. Yeah, no, you know, my, my umnushu I make with uh, <laughs> potatoes. Um, and I once made umnushu uh, for a couple of friends and they thought, oh, we're going to have a horrible dried meal. Mm. Uh, but I did it a bit different. I had a bit of stock that I added, nice spices, and the celery really made a difference. Am I getting an invite as well? <laughs> yeah, you are welcome. <laughs> um, I, I like to cook. You know, if you work on this stuff, you need to be able to sure, cook. Sure, sure. But it's also our creative recipes need to be celebrated mm. because those are the, 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 the mobilizing factors. If there's a really good recipe for something, mm. a lot of people will follow it and it'll maybe place umnushu mm. back on the, on the, on the table. Mm. And I think that's also what we need to think about. You know, to eat and to change our food system is not a dry technical exercise that the government must lead because we're all starving or something. It's sure. something that can really enrich our lives mm. to a significant extent. And it can recover our heritage mm. and transform our heritage for that. the modern world and make it compete. Sure. Uh, because if you really look at it, um, a really good plate uh, of mushu is much better than the best ham- gourmet here hamburger. Mm. So <laughs> we've got that amongst mm. us and we need to celebrate ourselves and what mm. we have. And that's one of the things we need to do. Well, before I go for a break, I'd like to pick, pick your brain, Jerry, in terms of going back to uh, people not actually... Uh, uh, Looking down on the indigenous uh, food systems, that actually, uh, I think that's where we need to go back as a continent itself. I know that uh, spinach in the African uh, community sp- plays a, a big role. Beans and soya plays a, a big role. Those kinds of uh, very much nutritious, uh, nu- 
nutrition field foods uh, are really really a part of African culture uh, plantain those kinds of food you know are foods that are really really something that we kind of take for granted because of our westernization but when you look at it it's time to go back to Africa when it comes to food Yes, Ben, I, I couldn't agree more uh, with you and, and, and the colleagues there about the importance of encouraging um, you know, greater production and consumption of, of local traditional crops for their, for, for their uh, nutritious value. But one, of the things, one other thing that I wanted to touch, uh, touch on that, that, that I think is very important, uh, and that's it, that's that we all need to work much harder at reducing food losses. Sure, sure, um, sure. No less than one third of all the food produced for human consumption in the world is lost or wasted every mm-hmm. year. Uh, that's about 1.3 billion tons of food, which is enough to feed 2 billion people. Um, waste is particularly huge in Europe and North America, as much as 115 kilos per person per year. Uh, much lower uh, in sub-Saharan Africa, 10 or 11 kilos per person. Uh, but still, in sub-Saharan Africa, the losses amount to the equivalent of about U.S. dollars, $4 billion a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so plenty of work to do there. Well, I'm going to take a quick break, and then we're going to wrap it up with our guests. Your thoughts, give us your views. How do you think that we can actually change the cycle? Uh, We looked at these figures earlier on from the Food and Agriculture Organization. 220 million people in sub-Saharan Africa were hungry or undernourished in 2014 to 2016. And hearing these innovative thoughts from our guests clearly comes back to simple is actually the way to go. Actually, that uh, uh, soya beans that's right there in in your backyard or that spinach that's right there under just your shelf there is probably the best way out of uh, the fact that uh, uh, hunger is a problem on the African continent. Give us your thoughts at African Dialogue when I hear from you at Channel Africa as our Twitter handle for the radio station itself. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back after this. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunye Nzovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We love Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Well, it's time for us to sum it up on our program today. We've been looking at World Food Day on the African continent. Food is a big, big problem because of the access problem, the affordability problem, and also quality, quality, quality is becoming a new problem on the African continent in the last 15 years or so. Just to remind you who we have on the line and in studio, we've got Dr. Nodir Milan, who's a senior 
Senior Lecturer at the Department of Anthropology and Development Studies at the University of Johannesburg. When they told me that we're going to have a professor in anthropology, I was like, hmm, what does this have to do with food? But I'd like to pick his brain on some of the work he does in Soweto. Also on the line, we've got Jerry Buick, who is the uh, Regional Communications Officer at the United Nations World Food Program. Professor Julian May is joining us. He's the Director of the Department of Science and Technology at the National Research Foundation at the Center of Excellence in Food Security. He's also a UNESCO Chair in Africa Food Systems at the University of the Western Cape. Let's come to you, Dr. Nodia, in terms of uh, you, you deal with anthropology. Just briefly, tell us a little bit about how you got into food and caring about uh, uh, what's happening also in disadvantaged communities around where you work. You know, all South Africans should care about disadvantaged communities. But I got involved in food systems change through the work of an NGO called Rios Partners. And what they do is they use multi-stakeholder engagement methods to, to work for social change. So what, they, what I did is I um, engaged amongst many stakeholders uh, to, to work and establish different retail and market patterns in the Soweto food system. Okay. We started with developing technology with the Department of Industrial Design, but later on I, I linked with um, the, uh, the Slow Food Organization, the S- uh, Region D Farmers Forum, which were all the farmers in Soweto. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the moment I'm working with the Peets facility at the university, our technology station and with uh, the South African Organic Sector Organization. So what I do is I say the way to change the system is to change the way all the stakeholders, those who have an interest in change, Mm -hmm. work together. Mm -hmm. So what we've done this year, we set up a few value chains that are different than the normal value chains. The one is that we did with Melissa, the below with the arc of taste from Slow Food, is the African Rainbow Maze. So what this is, we've put together farmers who will grow African rainbow maize, or it's not actually African, but rainbow maize, mm-hmm. uh, that supplies a commercial operator living seeds who okay. has a commercial presence mm-hmm. in the small towns around Joburg and the townships okay. so that these things are commercially available and, and that is the driver of their availability. Right. Um, this is then supplied to the Ark of Taste Seed Library, which is an open library of those who... Um, want to engage with this project. Sure. And then we grow these uh, maize stalks, which look very nice because they all these different colors. And at the end of the value chain, we have a gentleman's agreement with the South African Chefs Association so that the chefs, the top chefs, will buy this. Great. Um, so we've established a different value path okay. for this. And this will give the farmers a better deal. The chefs will get a product which is very out of the ordinary mm. and it's beautiful mm. um, and it perhaps... You can think it tastes a bit different because it looks different. Mm. But this is what we've done for one uh, commodity. We have the means to do it uh, for others because we actually meet and gather regularly almost every two weeks Mm. throughout the term Mm. um, in Soweto um, at the Soweto campus. And in this meeting, Mm. we actively use uh, action research methodologies to create these kinds of 
value chains. Mm. And that is one of the th- ways we can change the food system. Well, I want to wrap it up. We've got three minutes. So one minute from each of you is how we're going to wrap it up. Uh, um, Dr. Milan is speaking about innovative ways of looking at food. Professor Julian May, um, how far can we take innovation with food? I mean, we've got all te- a lot of technologies right now, but also we can't take it too far because we still have to preserve those uh, uh, nutritions in the in, in the food. Well, I think innovation plays in a very important role, and I think Nadia has pointed out to exactly the kind of innovation that I, we should be looking at. Um, let me be, play the academic for a moment. We talk about trying to solve a collective action problem with food security, and Nadia has pointed exactly how you would go about practically solving a problem where there are different interests, different stakeholders, all of whom need uh, particular kinds of assistance into to achieve food security. And by having an innovation link between what people are able to grow and what people are interested in consuming, through a group of chefs who might like to try something unusual, you're, you're able to produce an innovative and positive result. I think that kind of example mm-hmm. could apply in many other instances where we have this kind of problem, where we need to bring people to operate together to be able to solve a problem which is of, of importance to all of us. Well, uh, on our Twitter handle, Lohamakwela, who goes by the handle Mology, says, uh, African dialogue ending hunger requires collaboration and multidisciplinary approaches that address systematic issues within the food system. Well, I was going to come to Jerry, but we've just ran out of time. Time. Let's just uh, wrap it up there with that uh, Twitter uh, message. But I want to thank our guests, Dr. Nadia Milan, Jerry Buker, and uh, Professor Julian May for giving us uh, their time. Remember, you can keep interacting with us on our Twitter. We'll keep uh, watching it uh, uh, there and getting your thoughts on it. We're asking this important question. How does Africa make sure that there's enough quality food for all Africans? Do engage with us there. Remember, our other handle is at Channel Africa 1. 